Welcome to the Virtual Staff Room, a podcast made for teachers, by teachers, and all with a dash of educational technology thrown in. My name is Joachim Cohen, and today, like every day, I am joined by two rather awesome members of the Technology for Learning team, Linda Lazenby and Yvette Pashoglian. Welcome, team! Does the image of a number one New York Times bestselling author conjure up lamplight, a large mahogany desk, sheafs of paper and a glowing laptop? In reality, the life of a busy, best-selling, world-famous author is one equipped for writing on the run, gathering ideas and chapters between virtual meets and greets with readers, editors, and publishers. In this episode, we are so lucky and excited to hear from the Australian author of The Tattooist of Auschwitz, Heather Morris, about how she works, what tech she infuses into her creative life, and we get a snapshot into the toolbox of the modern storyteller. Her story is simply extraordinary. She decided to pursue screenwriting, something she'd always wanted to do after raising her children, but it was a chance meeting with Holocaust survivor Lale Sokolov that set Heather's writing path on on its way. Many of you will know and have read the book uh, or have had students that have read this story, and you would know that this book has topped book charts all over the world, including stints at the top of the New York Times bestseller chart. She's a passionate storyteller and her suite of stories around this first book continue to inspire. Heather's just released her latest book called Three Sisters and has been kind enough to stop by between chats with her international publishers and booksellers to tell us about her writing life and her tech toolbox. Oh, thank you. This is wonderful. Look forward to chatting. Heather, your story, which became the tattooist of Auschwitz, came about when you met uh, Lali Sokolov, who relayed his story to you. Did you rush home to take notes of Lully's story or did you use a dictaphone or audio recording device to capture his story? How did the process work? It definitely did not include taking notes or having any recording device anywhere near us. I knew that doing that would be a distraction. So for me, it was practising what my great-grandfather taught me, active listening. Only then I could go home and I could recall exactly what he'd said and write it down then. It's interesting, isn't it, how we sometimes get lost in our devices and and in technology these days. But um, there's still such a a core process of a lot of the writing our students do. And it makes me wonder, uh, Heather, do you take notes by hand or do you use a computer? Is it a tablet or a PC? And have you tried some other ways like dictating your writing? I have not tried dictating. I have definitely, I I just transcribe onto my computer. Here's the thing about also uh, taking notes. I learned many, many decades ago shorthand. Now, when I first went to university as a mature adult, I thought I would be clever and I could sit there and I could write every word that my lecturers were saying to me because I'd take down these copious notes in shorthand. But here's the thing about doing those kind of uh, dictation and notes. You actually don't hear the words. And you have no recall of how they're said and the significance behind them. And I learned very quickly that that is a bad way to learn anything. Now, of course, shorthand was invented because they wanted stenographers to hear the words, take them down, but never remember them. Uh, They were to be just recorded. So don't try that if you do know it. Uh, And just listen. Shut up and listen. Great advice for storytellers and our young storytellers out there. Heather, the book that that 
sort of rocketed you to all of our consciousness was a historical story. And I know that there was a lot of historical research behind it, not only talking to survivors of the Holocaust. With historical research, do you have favourites, say, websites or teams of researchers that use particular sites to do that work? And do you have any particular favourites? Yeah, look, here's the thing about research and me. Patience is not one of my virtues. And so I am now lucky enough to be able to engage professional researchers in whatever country I need to get me the kind of documents that would take me a long time. So I use professional researchers for data, for documents, photos, that kind of material I need. However, when it comes to wanting to hear the emotional, personal parts to my research, then only I do that. When I was writing Silka's story, once I had all that material out of Moscow from my researchers there, it was to Slovakia, to Kosita, to the friends and the neighbours of Silka that I went and sat time and time again listening to these incredible old Slovakian people who they spoke no English and I spoke no Slovakian and still we communicated because I listened and they could see I was listening and the two translators sitting off to my right, they were taking down the notes. But I need to be there to do that. It never gets outsourced. Gosh, I tell you, I tell you, it's it's it's. Oh, we're in a world where we want to get things done so quickly, and I think you're transporting us into the idea of the power of making meaning out of listening, out of doing in-depth research, and the power of that old form of journalism and old form of writing that maybe we don't see as much anymore. I wonder if our students would even have heard of shorthand. <laughs> Good point. They probably haven't seen it and, and also to even look at it is quite different as well. Heather, you're a screenwriter by trade. Um, how different was it to develop the story which eventually became The Tattooist of Auschwitz into a novel, particularly one that was developed from someone's personal story? Well, first can I say that thank you very much for referring to me as a screenwriter. It is not a title I give myself. Um, yesterday I spent four hours with a screenwriter and uh, when you're a screenwriter, they know what they're doing. But yes, I did study screenwriting and so I'll accept that in that context. Very different. Writing a screenplay is writing to a formula. Learning the rules and unless you're Quentin Tarantino, and I bet you're not, You do not get to deviate from the rules uh, of writing a screenplay. Three acts, Quentin goes for four, and and have those sort of beats and those arcs that are driven into you when you're learning how to do it. But hey, that means you get structure. That means you do get a story with a beginning, a middle and an end, uh, and there's no getting around it. So I found that very easy to learn rules of writing writing a novel like I ended up doing, I didn't know what the heck the rules were and I couldn't find anybody to teach me either. It, um, so that was trial and error. But, uh, yes, it's, look, it's a good way to learn just some structure and you don't need to become Quentin Tarantino. I like the sound of that though. It's, um, you know, you can't just, you know, for our teachers out there, they know that as well. You can't just give a student a pen and say, go and develop me a story because what they come back with won't necessarily be what the student intended or what the teacher intended. And it's about thinking about how they can structure it and think about it. And yeah, that word structure, it's got to be all about storytelling because here's the thing about, uh, say, a screenplay that you'll be told you must get your significant actors in the first 10 pages. Your first 10 pages are crucial. Do not introduce a character in page 30 that you've not even hinted at in page 10. And so there are these really strict rules. 
and to have had certain number of what they call beats, things happen to your inciting incident. I love that phrase. Um, you've got to get that in the first 10 pages. So knowing that, you, you've got to go and frig around to get it there. Absolutely, yeah. Go back and edit it and make sure, oh, God, I forgot I missed that bit. I've got to go back. Yeah, that's it, because everyone knows how to do a sizzling starter. But what happens after that? That's on everybody's yeah. mind too. It's the killer. <laughs> now, look, we are a technology podcast here, Heather, and we were just wondering, what's your favourite program that you use to do your writing? Um, Word. I have bought Scrivener, which is a particular uh, storytelling or novel writing uh, piece of software. For writing screenplays, I do use what's called Final Draft. So it is very clearly, specifically designed to write a screenplay. And so it does not allow you to skip parts to it. If you don't put in some dialogue followed by some uh, descriptive prose and then you don't tell them whether it's daytime or nighttime, <clears throat> an internal or an external shot, it doesn't allow you to progress. But getting And it's not that expensive. You can get versions of Final Draft if you want to write a screenplay and it helps you because it doesn't let you move forward uh, without uh, doing the right um, bits to the story. But in terms of uh, yeah, writing my novels, look, I just stick to Word. I found, I know you're technological, but <clears throat> here's the thing. Scrivener was so brilliant that I couldn't master it. It wasn't for me because it kept wanting me to go over there and make these little postcard signs over there to make sure that I put it in over there, and I went, but why can't I just put it over there? So <clears throat> lots of conversations between me and Scrivener and um, Scrivener won. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That's sim simple, reliable, effective. It's one of the mantras of, of our team. And I think that's what Word is. You know, we all know it. We can all use it. It doesn't get in the road of the process that you're going through. Now, look, we are in this new reality of 2021 and we've seen the huge rise of Netflix. We've seen podcasts like this one appear um, out of the period uh, that we've had. We've got Ian audiobooks. Has this really changed the way that you approach writing? And, you know, what do you think this implication has for young writers of the future? Yeah, here's the thing about the technology in the last 12 months that we've all been introduced to. And this is a Zoom top, by the way. I am wearing a Zoom top. I have a wardrobe of Zoom tops. The bottoms don't matter. And I have also had to master, and in Melbourne, in lockdown, I didn't have any technical help. But I do a lot of talks all around the world, particularly when I'm talking to a, a live radio station or a live television station. They send me these most complicated and complex pro formats and programs to link into. So, yeah, they're just not Zoom. They're really complex and I've had to master them. So I'm doing okay on that level. They all have funny names and what they use in Poland is different to what they use in Sweden. Go figure. So I'm getting quite good at, at mastering that. Um, and, of course, I have Facebook. I was doing live Facebook events every Monday night, uh, talking for 45 to 50 minutes for about five or six months last year. And so that was pretty cool. I had to learn how to do that once again in my own home lockdown. Oh, look, I tell you, Heather, for someone who says you're not very technological, mm -hmm. you've just outlined the way that you have got such an open approach to the way technology is. You're such a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. It's it's unbelievable. Congratulations, as I can say. It's a, it's a role model to so many people out there, I think. Mm, and 2020 just gave us so many other ideas. Um, the fact that you've embraced it, has there been a standout moment with that tech that maybe went extremely well or was uh, memorable for other reasons within that format? 
Look, I'll tell you the story and you may want to edit it out. <clears throat> I'm doing a live, thankfully it's only um, audio interview into the BBC in London. And I was looking after my daughter and son-in-law's dog. Now, it's a big golden retriever. His name is Diego. I'm sitting on a sofa and I'm comfy having this great interview, live interview. And I have this pure white rug that I'm sitting on. And Diego comes and sits beside me. That's fine. Then Diego kind of half sits up and he starts doing the bum walk <laughs> on my white rug. I'm trying to keep a straight face and talk and kick this dog who is leaving this poo mark down my white rug. <laughs> if you want me to come up with another one, we can, but yes. Oh, dear. Well, Heather, I think we've just about reached the end of this amazing podcast. We are so honoured to have had you, but you know what? Every single guest that comes on the virtual staff room has to answer one question. And it's called Rocket Ship Robots. Now, you might be someone who's heard of the radio program Desert Island Discs. And what they do is they challenge every guest to come up with the uh, disc, so the cassette, you know, the CD, that old thing, that they might take the, with them to a desert island. But we're a technology podcast, so we're flying into outer space in our rocket and we challenge our guests to say what piece of technology would they take with them. So, Heather Morris, what would you take with you? My, my iPad. Has to be, because I can both read and listen to it and uh, hopefully catch up on, on news as well. Oh, create, consume, do it all. And I know how to work it. <laughs> Bonus points. Oh, Heather, thank you so much for joining us and taking time out to talk to the virtual staff room. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Does this inspire you to write a bestseller, Yvette and Linda? What ideas have you taken away from Heather's advice? Have you got any time savers? Yvette? Well, gosh, Heather is really the master of time saving because she has such a busy schedule and obviously with things being what they've been in the past year or two, they've really thrown a spanner in the works and the way we, we all work. Um, I think for me when I'm writing, I think using speech to text and enabling some of those dictation functions that you've got in some of those products like a Google, Do Google Doc, uh, that's a great way to capture an idea and then have it ready for later. And similarly, I think there are different aspects to collaboration with docs as well that, that could really work if you've got students, for instance, that might be writing together or you giving feedback. Uh, Linda, what do you think? Well, I was thinking about that collaboration piece in terms of not so much students but for teachers and I know with the teams we work with, with without some of those fantastic collaboration tools that we have, I, I'm not sure how we would have gotten through this lockdown period at all and the team, the team and our teachers in schools are able to use some of these tools to really make sure their collaborative approach to teaching has remained consistent when they're not together physically as well. Yeah, I, I hear, Linda. It doesn't matter where you are, who you are, who you need to connect with. There are all these tools that can make it possible. You know, as Heather was mentioning, so many ways to connect in with all the people that she needed to talk to or that she needed to inspire. And it made me reflect and think, well, you know, creativity comes to you anywhere. You can't tell where it's going to come. And if you don't have a place to write down that idea, you're going to forget it. So using things like, you know, Google Keep, which you can use on your mobile, you can get it on your computer, you know, Google Docs, where you can do it across those areas as well. So you're not going to lose that idea. I think that's something that that really drilled home to me because I know I sit in bed at night. Sometimes I go, oh my gosh, I just had this idea and I can't forget it. And if I can get my phone out, pop it onto Google Keep, but at the same time it might happen when I'm walking down the street 
uh, and I'll know that I've got that same list that I can connect with. So Heather has really inspired me, I can tell you, with those kind of tools that mean I can work anytime, anywhere on the go. Sorry, Vet and Linda, it's midterm four and we're back face-to-face teaching. But there were so many great digital resources created during the learning from home period. Are there any ideas or gems that you want to share with teachers? Linda, how about you? Look, you're right in that there's so many great resources that were created during that lockdown period. And I know teachers have their work cut out for them to support our students in transitioning back to -to face-to-face schooling. One of the things our team's been working on is uh, the T4L Kids magazines, and this is the sixth edition that's been released. And it's all on data, which can often seem like a very dry topic to go through with students. But this is a focus on using infographics to share um, data and, and really write some great data stories. Some of the team that have worked on this have used really great sources to really inspire the kids around using sport and other statistics um, across the world that might get students really engaged in this work. And, you know, I think this type of work, that self-paced learning where students can do a group task with someone is probably what our teachers are looking for. And, and I hope that this hits the mark. I've also got something too, Linda, that would really suit students. And, you, you know, the teachers might have been super busy during that period in August, but don't forget to check out the DART Learning uh, Virtual Book Week celebration. There are 10 sessions Um, of author sessions and author talks which were just brilliant we had 22 authors appearing and they're all still available on YouTube you just simply head to Dart Learning and you can tune in by stage Uh, there are lots of sessions according to stage and some of the guest combinations are just really fun there's also uh, a couple of sessions aimed at stage six students too which target that idea around the craft of writing so dovetails nicely with what Heather was talking about today so just give a little shout out to that one as well and also complimenting T4L Kids Mag we've got magazine T4L out for teachers and it's all about leveling up your practice so uh, that's what I've been hanging out to talk about Um, Joe what about you? Oh, I'm just just loving listening to these resources that I've got to go and check out. All the great on-demand content uh, that will just live on for so long. Uh, how fantastic to be able to bring these amazing authors into the classroom and make data come to life. Data people sometimes fall asleep when they think about it. They think about accountants. They think about you know people working with numbers, but they're so exciting. And infographics really make it come to life. And one of the tools you could have used for that was actually Canva. And I've been doing a little bit of exploring inside Canva for education which now all New South Wales teachers can access if they think it's right for them and for their school. So provide the link in the show notes. But I love Canva because when you're telling stories, you sometimes want to make those words come to life. And I think Canva's got the real capacity to do that, whether it's, you know, creating a a visual story, an infographic, whether you're creating an app prototype or a movie or a film or, you know, other resources and assets to go along to promoting those. It's a fantastic tool to go and experiment with. It's designed for everybody. And so I really hope people go and check out those resources and get creating and making their stories come to life. Many of us may be thinking about writing in a different light and thinking about how tech can support us in our creative journeys and how students can utilize tech to work on their craft of writing and how it can take on a whole new multimodal meaning. Exciting times ahead for the students of today and the writers of tomorrow. 
This podcast has been produced by the masterful Jacob Druce with the assistance and supreme coordination of the Technology for Learning team. Before we go, please make sure you send us through your comments, your word of techno wizardry wisdom. Yes, they'll be back next time. And your thoughts for new guests and segments. And if you like the podcast, give us a rating so more and more educators find us and be inspired to get a little techie in the classroom. Stay supreme, get learning, stay passionate, everyone. And thanks for joining us. Just a little note, please be aware that all views expressed by the podcast presenters, that's us, are our personal opinions and not representative of the New South Wales Department of Education. Discussions aren't endorsements of third-party products, services or events. And please note that as much as we sound like it, we are not experts in legalese, tech speak or anything in between. We're just passionate people keen to boost technology for learning in the classroom and to help build the school skills in your students and for you to solve the problems of tomorrow. Do your due diligence, read further, and if we've got something wrong, let us know. We too are always learning and always improving.